Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Punch, Kick, Choke, Chat. My name is Sean Benson. I am one of your hosts. I'm so happy to be here doing this conversation tonight. And we're just going to jump right in with a question that uh, I'm really interested to hear our guest, uh, Sensei Frenette's answer. Um, Sensei, when you're so skilled in the martial arts, or when, when somebody is, is it hard to then move to the stunt world <laughs> and what are the challenges to make sure that the audience is picking up what's happening and that it's actually shown as real, but isn't the way it would happen in real life? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Uh, actually, you have to basically unlearn a little bit of what you learn, because uh, as we all know, I mean, I mean, I say we all because I come from that industry now, but everything is cheated and uh, you know, it's all depends on where the camera is. If it's over my left shoulder, right shoulder, or my partners, uh, you know, in, in the, the fight uh, choreography, I have to cheat my movement to make it work for camera. So none, very rarely, not the technique's going to be in a straight line. So everything's going to be cheated, curved this way to favor this camera on the other side. So I had some situation over the years. For me, I, I, it was not hard to do a transition to that and being able to go back to the dojo and do it like we do it. But some in some cases, like people, when they're conditioned, I give you an example, like, boxers and kickboxers that you used to, to fight and they take it and it just go like this there's no reaction my motto is always what sells action is reaction so if there's no reaction on the other side then it's you can do the nicest kick you know the van damme you know jump spinning hook kick but if the reaction on the other side is not equal to that that sells that hit mm -hmm. you know it's pointless so it's hard for some people to break that you know that uh mold that you have from the, the fighting arts into the, the film industry. Same thing with gymnasts. I had people from Cirque du Soleil and they came and trained with us. You know, there was always searching, you know, new talent, you need new generation as, as people get older. And uh, some guys, you know, the gymnasts that the spinning and the pointing the toes and the arms like this and everything, you have to lose that. If you fall off the building, you can't do the swan dive. You gotta, you gotta fall, <laughs> like you don't wanna die. So, you know, you're scratching, you have to fall. So you have to break all those habits. So it's the same thing with that, you know? So. Well, sure. I remember when I started learning like some really basic level stunt stuff, I've never done what you've done, but um, my, my coach at the time was like, nobody can see what you're doing. And I'm like, well, I know. And they're like, right, you need to show us the windup. You need to show us the big wide kick. Um, because again, if, if there's a reaction, somebody's gonna be like, what happened? I don't even understand yeah. why that guy's on the ground right now. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so as you're talking about that and you were sort of making motions, do you think it's valid to say that a lot of the reason why people throw such wide haymaker type stuff in the street is that that's what they see in the movies and the movies is showing stuff going back to the cowboy silent movie era that's really exaggerated and your average person thinks that's how you fight what do you think about that it, it could be it could be because you know I, I give, yeah it could be because that's a reference for people that's what they see you know how many times you see a real fight in the street you know and how can you pick up really what happened because it goes so quick in real life you know and, and it's so close that you know they cannot so what you see on tv or what you, you everything is exaggerated so then yes that would be a, a good uh, influence i would say for that you know definitely I, yeah right <laughs> actually i think that's actually a fun moment to go around the horn um i'll start with you sensei dofin just because i'm looking at you on my screen and then we'll go around but in the, in the movie fights you saw that made you want to get into martial arts, all that kind of stuff, compared to any altercations you've allegedly had 
Mm-hmm. What would you say are the major differences in terms of how it unfolds? Oh, the, amount of, the amount of time that the fight lasts, you know, yeah. Yeah, fights sure. in the movies are like minutes and minutes and long and confrontations in real life are fractions of a second long. Yeah. All right. What about you, Hanchi Legacy? Any uh, alleged confrontations that unfolded differently than in the movies? Well, I just, uh, I watch a lot of Westerns. I just like that, you know, the guys get in battles, like you say, for two or three minutes on in the show, the guy never loses his, his hat. And he keeps getting up from those big blasts they throw. So, yeah, and they wind up. I guess that explains why they need an action and reaction, like uh, Sensei Frenette says. Yeah. And I guess that's it. That's all I know about him. Right on, Sensei Suino, any thoughts about that idea? All I know about, you know, fighting was from, from schoolyard fights as a kid, for the most part, in the they were just such so scrappy, right? You couldn't make a film out of them at all. Someone pushed somebody, you fall on the ground. You're trying to, you know, shove their face in the ground. It's just this, this, this bizarre scrapping, right? There's very little fisticuffs. Nothing that looks like it would show up in a movie. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know how familiar you are, Sensei Frenet, with the um, the Fast and the Furious franchise. But I went and I rewatched all of them a while ago. Mm-hmm. And the first one, there's a fight scene that almost looks like an indie movie. Like it's a single camera shot. And it's the head of the sort of uh, the Asian dude. And they're fighting in this really scrappy, like almost pulling their shirt over each other's head kind of way. Right. And like four of the movie franchises later, they're like falling from space, hitting the earth, hitting each other with lead pipes, jumping over cliffs. And the audience just kind of gradually starts going with it. But one starts almost realistic. And one. at what point do you think it goes too far? Like, have you ever been on set and gone... Uh, that's now getting away from the style of your, your actual film. Absolutely. You know, that my take on this is very, as, and you're, you're an actor, so you will uh, relate to it right away. For me, it's, it's, it's about telling a story. And there's two characters. There's the good, the good guy, the bad guy. Where are we in the story? So what they do is very important and it has, it has a very uh, strong uh, impact on, on the, what's going to un- unfold after. So it's not just fighting for fighting, you know, but if the, uh, the let's say your, 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 your hero has got some values and he's not going to spit in the face before he's going to hit somebody or do stuff that you would right. see in the street, this is not happening because this guy cannot do that because that's not in his character. The other guy, yes, he's going to bite. He's going to, you know, going to do all kinds of stuff right but even that you know in order to make to make it come across the camera you have to photograph that you have to film it in a way you have to you have to stage that and in, in, in a way so people can understand what's going on that's why i was saying earlier like if you see a street fight it goes so quick it go oh wait a minute what what did he do the guy's on the ground was it an elbow was it a punch was it a a palm or did you put, poke him in the eye don't know it, it went so quick boom and he's down you know so it's like if you do this for the movie, you know, it's boring because you don't know what's going on. Right. So that's, that's, that's why I think it's important that you're, we're telling a story in the action in the fight stuff. So that's, this is where like so you use the example of fast and the furious where they're, they're not in touch with reality anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's completely out of touch. So yeah. that's why sometimes I see movies like the guy is a, uh, an office uh, accountant. And now he's doing spinning back kick, but he has no back, no military background, no martial art background. Now to the blue, now he becomes a guy that can fight like a, you know, 
which then, then you, I'm sitting, I'm like, Whoa, wait, wait a minute, this is like way too much, you know, for the character that doesn't, you know, doesn't make sense, right? So that's exactly what you said earlier. It's like, it's too much, right? So it has to stick with the characters and the story. So that's why the work, when we choreograph fights or coordinate stunts and everything, it has to stick with the storytelling. You cannot like go left or right. You know, unfortunately, some people sometimes mm -hmm. they, they coordinate and try to make their demo real. So they're trying to add stuff into uh, the car chase or the fight. Sure. Or, you know? So, yeah. Well, I love Over that. Here. And, you know, having done, you know, some of that stuff and some punches and fights on set, I, I really, I'm always blown away by how much better my performance gets after a chat with the stunt coordinator mm -hmm. who reminds me of exactly what you just said. Sometimes they're telling me things about my character that I haven't even realized right. based on how the fight has to unfold. Mm -hmm. It's really great. Exactly. Um, so I don't want to just live in this film and TV world, but before we get to your martial arts journey and what even gives you the expertise of all this, mm -hmm. uh, top three fight scenes of all time oh. on ah. film. Interesting. I'd say that I'm going to go with my, the main influence for me, because coming from the, you know, I was born in the sixties. So Bruce Lee, obviously it was a big influence to me. So still to this day, you know, I, there, I don't see anybody that has the charisma that Bruce had on camera, mm. you know, so definitely. And he knew how to shoot it even today. You know, you look at what he did and it's like, yeah, completely. Uh, so obviously, yes. I, you know what I like, I have some reference. Uh, I remember the movie, they live with Roddy Piper, they live. Okay. That's a Stephen King thing. Um, they have this fight in the alleyway. It, it, it just never ends, but there's a story, there's dialogue in, in the middle of it and everything. So it makes it very interesting in terms of, you know, having the characters and following them into that battle and they, they have a beef and, you know, so they're pounding on each other, but as they get beat up, you know, they have a hard time to do certain things as opposed to what you see sometime in other fight stuff, which is very stylized, but you know, again, you get kicked in the knee, man, your knee's hurting, you know, you're right. not jumping around and, you know, so all those details, you know, that, that, uh, but in that case, anyway, I, that's what I liked about it. You know, obviously all, you know, some of the Jackie stuff, you know, I like oh, very yeah. much, you know, for sure. Um, you know, nowadays my friend, you know, is the director of the John Wick and all that. Uh, it's very stylized, you know, like I like the gunplay in it and, you know, yep. Um, you know, Matrix was interesting, was a, was a big eye opener, you know, for, for North American. But if you were following Hong Kong movies from before, you know, you'd see everything you saw in Matrix, we used to see it before and, you know, in, in Hong Kong with Wu Ping. So, you know, obviously all these, these um, martial art movies had a big impact and very, very uh, interesting. But again, it fit the uh, the genre because those guys were like martial art expert and they, they, it was justified to see what they were doing. Uh, compare that to like say they live, which those guys are just Rowdy was a wrestler, so basically they were just two brawlers. So they were hurting each other, and you know, so that was very interesting to me. So it was a reference in the sense of how you tell a story in the fight, as opposed awesome. to a nice, you know, performance. You know that uh, you used to see all the time. Love that. Thanks for that. Um, so to everybody watching, welcome to Punch Kick Choke Chat again. And I'm just going to introduce my three co-hosts and then Sensei Dolphin is going to introduce our guest and, and why we're talking so much about movies and martial arts and stunts, which is so fun for me. And, you know, um, my senseis are going to keep us on track here so we don't go too far down uh, the rabbit hole of what I want to know about. 
Um, so Sensei Dauphin uh, is a seventh degree black belt in Legacy Shorinru, as well as a seventh degree black belt in Hakatsuru White Crane and a fourth degree black belt in Iaido. And uh, Sensei Nicolas Suino is an eighth degree black belt in the Aido, a sixth degree black belt in Judo and Jiu Jitsu, and runs and founded the Japanese Martial Arts Center. And Hanshi Legacy is a 10th degree black belt, the founder of Legacy Shorinru, and is the Canadian mm -hmm. representative and a 10th degree black belt in Matsumura Hakatsuru White Crane. And we're here to help promote and, and to do this living history with our guest uh, tonight, who is Sensei Dauphin. Uh Sensei Jean Frenet. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. And and Sean, uh, yeah, you did a good job. The fight scene you did for I Am Canadian, where you hockey jerseyed the guy and punched him in the head. That was mm -hmm. the only fight scene I remember seeing you do, but it was a good one. And I loved yeah. it. <laughs> um, uh, about Sensei Frenet, he is a student of uh, Hunchy Chuck Merriman, who we've also had on this show. Um, he's made more than 20 stays in Okinawa to train under the technical direction of Master Ichi Miyazato, who himself was a student of Chojin Miyagi, the founder of Gojuru Karate. Uh, in addition to teaching, Sensei Fernet works to promote karate on an international scene by giving demonstrations and seminars all over the world. And, you know, demonstrations, we did one on the weekend with maybe 100 people at it. And Sensei Fernet has done demonstrations with like 15,000 people at the demonstration. Uh, he's also authored seven books, um, has 15 videos on martial arts. He's also the founder and technical director of uh, Club Karate Boucherville. He's been practicing karate do for more than 40 years. So not a quitter. And Sensei Legacy's uh, vernacular, not a quitter. You got to be 30 years and he's well over that. Um, I like these accolades. He's a five-time world champion, three-time North American champion, 12-time uh, Canadian champion, and he's won more than 30 international titles. Uh, as we were just talking about, Sensei Fernet works in film and television through his company, Onset Stunts, where he trains actors and stunt performers in addition to choreographing and coordinating fight scenes and stunt work. Uh, some of the films that I like when I look at his IMDb are ones like 300, great movie, uh, Immortal Shazam, uh, Reacher, The Boys, which Sean Benson was on, <laughs> The Expanse, and one everybody likes is Deadpool 2. Um, I, want to, I always like to give a couple of sense of Fernet. I like to give a couple of personal uh, comments. Um, his name's out there. I haven't known him personally. The first time I met him was in Ottawa. Um, but he was really nice when we met in Ottawa. But I've known of him since the day I walked into the dojo. And one of the things I knew about him was that if you think you can kick like him, I'm sorry, you just can't. You can't, you can't kick like him. There's very few people on the face <laughs> of the earth who could actually kick like him of all time, like ever. And you might not believe me, but I'm going to prove it to you. And I'm going to say this again. If you think you can kick like Sensei Fernet, you can't. Okay. You're not going to be able to. So we're going to queue up a little demo reel here now uh, for, for the audience. Andre's really good at this. Here it comes. This would be a good minute and 32 seconds of your life. 
Yeah. Next yeah. next yeah. level yeah. demos. <laughs> Holy shit, mate. <laughs> I was there when he competed doing the eye of the tiger and those things. Yeah, back in the, in the, uh, was it in Caesars tournament or Hamilton or yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, back in the what the early 70s very early 70s yeah 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 been a while i have the tiger yeah 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 i don't know if you remember me from then I probably a bit different yeah yeah no i, I knew your name and everything but you know in the tournaments everything goes so quick and you come in and do your thing and then you go but uh you were refereeing to no yeah yeah that's it yeah 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 Amen. you know it was I've seen that video before, but it was fun to see it after Sensei, you um, talked about making the story, right? Because yeah. even in that demonstration, right, you're not just doing the moves, you're, yeah. you're, you're creating a, a, a spectacle for people and you can see the way you're, you're interacting yeah. with the audience. It's really cool That's to see. Exactly, it, exactly. It, it was make, make that connection with the audience very important. I remember like in 1992, I was in Spain. I was invited that, to teach a seminar and the student of the owner of the Atletico de Madrid, the soccer team in Spain, was a student of the, one of my students in Spain. And so he was asked, he asked his, his dad if I could do it. He wanted me to do a demonstration before the game and uh, in, the, in, the, the mid, mid, uh, in the middle of the game you know, when they have a break. And so I wind up doing a demonstration there. It was like 65,000 people. And, you know, it's like, well, at some point you just go, you just zero in, you know, you don't see anybody anymore. But it was interesting to see that I came in and then uh, silence, completely silence. I did my thing. And then again, just tr connecting with the people. And and the out the, it, the outcome was like they won, two, one, they, they won the game 2-1 to go to the uh, World Cup. Now it became like the lucky charm for, for the team. So they took me out and everything else. It was interesting. <laughs> yeah. You need to go do that for the Habs. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or the Leafs. <laughs> uh, yeah. The Habs are in, in trouble. That's for sure. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to take it from there real quick and just do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, that's just phenomenal. Like, that's phenomenal. Um, and also, you know, I hope everybody watching is appreciating our new production values here on Punch, Kick, Choke, Chat, because uh, we're starting to want to be able to amplify uh, the specific skills and, and, and history that exists for our guests. And uh, that was really fun for me to watch on so many levels. Um, for everybody who's here with us uh, live, you might be watching later on uh, YouTube. Hit the like and subscribe button. You might be listening on your podcast. Do the same. But if you're here with us tonight on Zoom, we want you to be a part of this living history. So in the bottom, there's the chat button on your screen, and that's going to light up in a sec. Pop your questions in there for us and uh, give us something excellent to ask our guests tonight. And then also just know that you're watching five adults having a chat. And we established today that if you don't like what you hear, you can either eat a dick or eat a bag of dicks um, because you're effectively chatting. Uh, you're listening to a group of adults have a bit of a fun uh, chat. And, and that's the joy that we try to create with the show. And I think we hit that chord nicely sometimes. So um, Sensei Fernet, it's such a pleasure to have you with us. And uh, I'd love to just start you off with the same question that you know, we're most interested with a lot of our guests, which is what was it like growing up for you before martial arts? What brought you into your first dojo and why'd you stay? 
very interesting question. As we all know, Canadians, we play hockey, almost everybody. Uh, I'm no different. Uh, I started playing hockey when I was five years old. And by the time I was six years old at the arena where we used to, to play, uh, there was a judo dojo in there. So one night uh, we finished the game. I'm coming out with my dad, but I see, oh, what's, what's, what's going on over there? So he goes, well, I'm going to go check it out. It's judo. I said, well, I'd like to try that. So I started judo uh, for four years, and then I was six until 10, then I started karate. So that, that's how I kind of went into it. And I was really attracted to, to the training and the, uh, the feel of it. As opposed to like when you play hockey, it, it's all fun and it's great. Uh, if you go, if something goes wrong, if you make a mistake, you know, you can blame people around. And <laughs> martial art, it's you. You cannot blame anybody. You know, if you do kumite and you, I don't know, you get hit in the stomach or you get hit in the face a bit. It's not, it's not, it's not the other guy's fault. It's your fault because you didn't block, you didn't react or you didn't, you know, in the sense where, you know, it's, it's, it's more being responsible for, for what you do and being focused on what you're doing. And there's nobody else around that's going to, it's going to make it for you. So for me, that was that feeling I had, you know, from just watching that and starting judo. And I think I started off with the good thing because judo is, is so great, you know, as a kid to learn how to roll, how to fall, you know, and it's, it's very important. And then, like I said earlier, the Bruce Lee movie came in and uh, I went, oh, yes, I want to do that. And then I just, you know, found a dojo in my town, my first karate teacher, and I started uh, karate. And then uh, later on, I met uh, Sensei I was on the Quebec team. We were in Buffalo, no, Syracuse, New York for the sickle cell tournament. And it was the U.S. team and the Swedish team and uh, some other team. Uh, and they were competing, and uh, this is where I met Sensei Mermikis. He was the coach of the AAU, and that's how we connected. And then uh, I was attracted by uh, uh, Goju. So, and obviously, the man himself, such an incredible uh, human being. So. so, I really want to get to that and break that open, but let me just back up a second on something you said, because it's so interesting to me. I mean, at age six through 10, you're doing judo, and you already seem to have this really mature understanding that it was different than the other things. Mm. Um, but also at that age to have a mature understanding that, oh, I'm in the martial arts, but I actually want to move over to this other martial art. Um, yeah. Was that really conscious for you? Or is, or is that something you look back at and kind of go, that's kind of how it worked out. But I was just, no. were, were you that conscious of it? Because that's really- Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's, a, that's very for young interesting. Men. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And it, 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 it feels sometimes, uh, you know, we can have a whole discussion about you know, reincarnation or prior previous life and everything else. But uh, for me, it was like, it was uh, just like, okay, no, this, this, this is what I want to do. This is what I am. You know, I just, I was attracted to it right away. It's like, okay, I found something I, you know, I lost or I didn't have, or, you know, that I wanted to get without knowing, but for sure I was so attracted to it. You know, it was, it was not a hard decision to make. It was uh, as soon as I saw it. Sensei Suino, you're, you're, you're the other person on this call who started, you know, much younger. Uh, can you relate to that? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, as we've talked about before, you know, I walked into the YMCA and did judo at age eight. And uh, 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 by the end of that hour-long class, I knew it was something I was going to do my whole life. Wow. Or just something, right? I 100% would love to delve into that stuff you said, Sensei, um, but maybe not on this Maybe not on this show, but I, there's a certain degree to which I think we're fated to do the things we do. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sorry, I'm just wondering if we should delve into that or not. This, sounds, this is a really interesting topic. Sensei Suino, why don't you, what, like, what's something palatable, like bite-sized that you think you'd want to know? Because this is something we haven't really gotten into, and I think it's valuable. Well, there are a lot of us on this call and in past Punch Kick Choke episodes who said, uh, you know, I've stepped into a dojo and it changed my life, but also, uh, you know, I knew within a day, a week, or a month that I was going to do this or something like this the rest of my life. Maybe we're filling, maybe we're backfilling the story, you know, from 40, 50 years out. I don't know. Um, because everything, in, I owe everything I am to martial arts. So uh, I, it's hard to articulate this without getting pretty, pretty wacky. Well, I, I, I like where we're going. Sensei Fernet, do you think that there's, you know, a version of yourself that existed before that just kind of remind, I like the way the term you use, like you remembered something you didn't realize you forgot. Like, is that a real yeah. thing for you? Absolutely. I mean, you know, what, how could you be attracted to the Japanese culture? I mean, I start, I'm Zen Buddhism practitioner since I'm 14 years old. So, um, and I read my first book at 14 years old from Alan Watts. Uh, it's, it's just, like I said earlier, it's not something I was trying to think about doing. I was just like attracted to it's like not even not thinking about it. this. This is what I want to do. I'm attracted to that. Uh, why would I be so attracted to, like I said earlier about the Japanese culture, uh, Zen Buddhism, uh, karate practice. I mean, any Budo, I mean, any Budo. I mean, I was, I was always been attracted. It's not because you do karate that you cannot have interest in two other arts that it's impossible to be able to do everything, but the interest to understand the art, the, the, the culture, uh, I never get <laughs> stupid things like I never get tired of eating Japanese and I'm not eating Japanese food because I do karate. It's just because I like it, you know, so it's not something like, OK, I want to be like more Japanese than Japanese. Not that it's just naturally attracted to that. Um, if I fast forward like all these years of, uh, you know, doing Zen meditation and uh, study on Soto Zen and then Rinzai. And the philosophy that comes with it. And then when I went to Okinawa and I met the, my Zen master over there, Sakyama Roshi. And he's from the school of Rinzai, which is the, the, tough, the toughest one, the oldest one. And um, when I went to the dojo, if, if I can tell the stories, okay, yeah? Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. please. So I go over there. And when I travel around the world, I don't like to be like a tourist, like get on the bus. I just walk and I just go with where my instinct, you know, takes me to. So I'm walking around. I went to visit uh, Shuri Castle the first time I was there. I went to Shuri and I'm walking around, wandering around in different streets. I take small street. And then I wind up in the street where there's a like a long steps going up, all in old stones. And, you know, it's all used up. You can see the steps and all that. I walk, I go all the way to the top. What I see in front of me is a, a, Zen, a Zen temple. I, I didn't have any direction. I didn't have any... Uh, but he tell me, oh, you go over there and then you see this, this, uh, this temple. So now I'm like, oh, <laughs> already I'm like, wow. I go there and the doors are open. So I, I know how it works in the Zendo. So take off your shoes, you come in, bow, then you can say that so you bow, uh, asking, Onegashimasu, anybody there, blah, 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 blah. Nobody. So I walk in, go, there's a Zen uh, place, the kitchen. And then on the other side, there's a tea room, eating room and all that. Nobody turn around, go upstairs, and I arrive at the where you you the temple where you meditate, and I'm like crying because I 
wanted to be there for so many years, but I never been there before in for real. I've been reading books and practicing Zen meditation, but in the real temple, in the real place, the real deal. You know, it's it's so. I'm I'm like there for five minutes. I can't move. I can't. I just in awe with everything. I just it's sinking in, right? And I feel so much at home when I'm there too. And that's that's the interesting thing. I come back downstairs. I go around nobody. I bow, put my shoes, bow, turn around, and there's this little man, bald head man. He's he's right there. Didn't see him before. He's just there. And I go, oh, blah 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 blah. He goes, uh, what are you looking for? So I'm looking for Zen. He goes, oh, okay, where are you from? So he speak a little bit of English. He was, it turns out, Sakamoto, she was a student of Chojun Miyagi, but he was also the first Japanese monk to go to North America. So he was the first one to go. He went to New York and Los Angeles. So very interesting. So he was interested into uh, the culture, that, you know, our culture in North America, because he's been there. He hasn't been there since 1965 or seven or something like that. And then he was affected to Okinawa because the Okinawan. So he was uh, in charge of the temple there. And uh, so we talked outside for about half an hour. He says, like, okay, come inside. We have tea. And so we go inside, we have tea and he prepares everything. And we have a discussion for three hours. And he says, okay, my, uh, my assistant, uh, Yoshi is going to call you later at uh, your place and tell you if you can come tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. Okay. And then I go. Then Yoshi calls, he goes, yes, and that's on tomorrow morning, 5 a.m. Okay, good. So then I go, and then, and, and then the story starts. Later on, um, I was there all the time. I would spend a month at a time, twice a year, and many times I stayed there at the temple. He had a room at the end. He says, you know, just, you can sleep there, stay here, no problem. And then one day we're having tea, and he says, you were Japanese before. And I, be, and I told him, I said, I believe so. I believe so because I could, mm. I, I understand. I knew all the mantra and the sutra and everything else because it's, it's been all my life, you know, since I was a kid, you know, and especially with the Zen and also the fact that he was a karate guy. And then when the war, the second world war, he went to war and what he saw at, at world war two, when he came back, all the, the, the violence and the horror and everything, he says, I'm not doing anything violent anymore. This is where he went to Kamakura. And um, and then uh, study, uh, become a Zen monk, and you know, mm. been a dispatch after that. So, so when we had discussion, he, he loves karate. He loves karate. So, and then I have pictures and some videos and stuff that you know we're together in the zendo upstairs, and he's doing sanchin, and he's he's basically teaching me how he used to do sanchin with children Miyagi, and then his he loves his kata seipai. So we do seipai, you know. But he says, don't tell anybody. But I'm saying this now, but. You know, he was very found into uh, uh, karate and he, very important to him to make that link between karate and Zen and the philosophy that comes with it together and how they complement each other. So it was very interesting. And later on, uh, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years after I was going there all the time, he, uh, he did a, a little ritual called Ishin Denshin, which is from my heart, or my heart to your heart or my soul to your soul. And he gave me his kimono, his personal kimono. And then some people, you know, some of the people that uh, the pupil over there, the, some of the students, they were a bit, uh, they didn't, they weren't comfortable with that. And then at the end, he was saying, see things as they are. And basically, that comes back to what I was saying earlier. What were you before you were in this this body? Mm. That's another whole discussion. 
but I really believe in that. And I think you saw that and I, I knew it as well. That's why I've been, so coming back to why falling into this recipe so young, mm. it's, it's, not, it's not a fluke and it's not, you know, like a, out, of, out of nowhere. I love that. And I, I'm, I'm writing down literally the words, it's not a fluke. Um, I, I kind of want to go around the horn on this, but I just want to chip in for myself. You know, my, my favorite uh, animated film of all time is Spirited Away. Huh? And, and that fundamental idea in the movie is remember who you are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even if you think of separation from the Garden of Eden, it's going home. It's uh, all the heroic journeys are about getting back home. Mm-hmm. And while I'm not sure uh, exactly what I think reincarnation would be, the idea that we have a home that even predates our mm-hmm. familial home, I think that's an innate sense in all of us. I, I think that's why all those stories and myths have to do yeah. with yeah. I need to remember who I am and yeah. reconnect and get home. Hanchi Legacy, um, I, I think this is something, you know, we, we want to go around the horn on is the mm-hmm. idea of Zen and karate, the way Sensei did it. And also, you know, maybe the remembrance of something before, before what we think we know. Anything you want to add or talk about with that? Well, it's definitely connected because uh, Buddha first invented the martial arts exercises. And then the 38 Zen Buddha walked from India over the Himalayan mountains and then to China. And he was, uh, he was then the first Chinese Buddha. And it came from them because the monks were sitting around meditating and they needed to keep themselves in a little bit better shape. So we made up these 10 basic general body movements of the martial arts. So uh, without trying to go any deeper than that, it definitely is connected. Thanks, Hanchi. Yeah. Fighting, for instance, is you must empty your mind so that everything or anything can happen. If you have something in your mind, your mind is already full. You can't receive anything else. So it, martial arts is a very good, uh, physical foundation for uh, Zen. Thanks, Hachi. Sensei Dofan? Listen, I, I uh, you, you know, like on the previous podcast, I said I, I have a, a degree in history, but my minor was actually in theology. So I've, I've read about these things and thought about these things and studied these things a lot. Uh, I never really thought about it, actually, until Sensei Fernet started to talk about it. But my whole life, my whole conscious life, I wanted to be a martial artist. I bought every book I could buy. I watched every movie I could watch. If I could get in a dojo and train for two seconds or if somebody said they knew some martial arts, I was asking them to show me something. When I got to school, I was very, university, I was very enamored with Japanese culture. I studied it, I read into, again, it's a good question that Sensei Fernet asks, why? Like I could have studied anything, like it could have been anything. Why was it that thing? And then when I walked into the dojo the first time with Sense Legacy, I didn't know I was going to be a black belt. I didn't know I was going to be good. As a matter of fact, I thought probably I wouldn't be good, but I knew I was always going to be training. I just knew like I, it was almost like I had finally come home again. And I'm glad that happened when I was 18 years old and not when I was 50. And then other strange occurrences have happened to me 
uh, was said to Suino once, I limped my way into uh, Meiji Temple, limped my way in like terribly. I mean, said to Suino said, maybe we should go back to the hotel. And I said, look, we're in Japan. I'm going to limp my way around to everything. But I did everything when you came in. I clapped my hands, did all the stuff, threw the coin in, said my prayer. And I just basically said, if anybody's out there, I literally in my head said it like this. Could you please make my ass stop hurting? <laughs> Halfway back out of Meiji Temple, Sensusina said, look at you, you're walking normal. And I was walking totally normal. There was no problem. And I trained the whole 10 days after that, no problem. Another time I threw a prayer into the ethos when Sensu Legacy and Wayne Bear and Charlie Kirby and I were fighting. I walked out into a hallway and said, I said it out loud. God, I would do anything for a drink right now. And the soda machine next to me spit out a grape pop. Like literally on the spot when I said that. And I remember they all, when I brought it into the room and I tried to explain it, uh, Bear and Charlie said it was bullshit. And Sensei Legacy said, well, he's got fighting equipment on and no money. And I know him well enough that he wouldn't have bought a great pop. So I think what he just said is right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's what I have to say to build on this. And I'm, I really like this conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sensei Suino, I know you touched on the idea of like the pre-remembrance, but what about the Zen aspect and, you know, as it relates to Judo or Iaido? I'm a, I'm a acolyte of Zen. I've studied it and I'm just absolutely tickled that Sensei Frenette mentioned Alan Watts, because that's how I got into uh, Zen as well. In college, I don't know how I stumbled on Alan Watts book, blew my mind. I had never thought like that before. And then I consumed everything he wrote, listened to his lectures, um, eventually grew tired of his uh, indulgent ways physically, because I was so into the martial arts. Alan Watts was a big smoker and drinker, and, and, uh, but, a, but a brilliant philosopher. And that just led me down the path. I've read hundreds of books on Zen. Uh, and I think uh, maybe the pinnacle or one of my favorites is uh, The Unfettered Mind by Takuan Soho, who lived around the same time as Miyamoto Musashi. And a lot of people say that he was an advisor to Miyamoto Musashi. That's probably not true, but they lived in the same ethos, right? The samurai ethos, a lot of fighting going on. And it's very clear that if you're going to take a three foot razor blade and get up the next morning and deliberately walk into battle where you will either lose a limb, uh, lose your life or take someone else's, that you better have something organized in your mind about yourself and about the universe you live in. Uh, I just think they're inseparable because of how those cultures, you know, how the Japanese culture grew. Amazing. Um, I, I want to get back to Sensei for now, but real quick, um, there's nothing that clears my mind like a mokuso before a karate class. And afterwards, whether it was the year my mom passed, uh, breakups, uh, drug addictions, this, that, a mokuso, to an hour and a half, two hours later, Mokso out of class. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think of one other thing. I could be teaching a white belt, Haji Dutch and a fist. And I just can't get over how this works. Um, how, how the choice to enter a space and exit a space, and there can be nothing but the moment in between. It's mm -hmm. a really beautiful thing. Um, sensei, Fernet, I wanna sort of ask a big question here and then you can go with it where you want. But talk to us about that journey from judo to karate, but then from karate through and, and, and share what you'd like into your competitive time. And then I know you have some thoughts about competition then versus competition now versus how to keep a, a budo 
or a keyhole mindset versus how to forsake that. Um, so if you can just lead us through your experience toward those tournaments, toward the competitions, toward the demos, and where you think you can maintain your integrity with it in terms of a classical art and where you think you give it up. Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, back in the 70s, you know, there was no uh, like open tournament or anything like that. So we were all doing kata to get warmed up to do kumite and uh, without any safety equipment back then. So uh, kata was just a warm up, you know. Um, I was introduced to, so we, we used to do committee all the time and uh, do kata. There was no favor in two kata back then, uh, in terms of, for me, like in terms of, okay, I, I, I want to do this. How I wind up focusing on kata is interesting. Uh, was doing uh, committee, just training, and I broke my wrist. And uh, so I had to be in a cast for six weeks, but I was like 16 years old, 17 years old. So obviously it's hot outside. You got to use a rule to scratch inside. And anyway, after three weeks, I just took it off and obviously go back to train and then like little Maigiri and then boom, it pops again. It breaks again. So I was in a cast again, so I couldn't compete in, in, in Kumite. So I asked, I said, well, can I, can I, can, you know, can I go in Kata? I got a cast that's up to here, so it's not too bad. So they would let me do Kata. So that's how I start to shift into mm doing you know putting more time into kata because i broke it four times so you know when you're young sometimes you uh yeah you don't you think you're going to be fine but uh you know get six weeks at six weeks you get into six weeks but hey that's my bad so uh that's how that's how i i got into doing more of the uh the kata training but in terms of the dojo training uh, with my first sensei who was, was uh, maxim Mazal Tarim is a Moroccan of origin. He was a student of Yoshinao Nambu. Uh, Nambu was in the Shitoryu Shikokai with uh, uh, Chojiro Tani. Was uh, Taniha Shitoryu and then he created Shukokai. <clears throat> it was very well known in Europe. Um, so I did that, uh, trained with uh, Sensei Maxim until uh, 1980, like I said earlier. And then this is where I met uh, Sensei Merriman in uh, in uh, New York and in, in Syracuse in that tournament, and that's how things started to shift. But uh, the the competition back then, you know, we still had that spirit of, you know, more Budo in the seventies. When we got into the eighties, it was more the point fighting. You had the the, the kata division that were more like uh, traditional uh, Japanese Okinawan and open and musical and you know all these like a menu basically. Which was interesting because I'm an open mind person and I like to express myself through what I do, and I I I was um, drawn to the to that kind of formula because I could express more my uh, my my uh, creativity through it by creating you know aside from the traditional form the katas I could create something and express myself through that. Uh, no wonder why I wind up doing that. <laughs> the film industry because uh, you know i just like to create so with with uh you know a thousand percent respect to a tradition i would never touch anything but the fact that i was uh, it kind of gave opened me a door to be able to create come up with some ideas and that's what you saw earlier mm -hmm. by still using good kihon good basics but also you know uh, trying to represent <clears throat> karate in a different form you know, so people can appreciate, you know, when you train, how, 
how uh, the level of your ability, how how high you can bring it, you know, by doing that kind of formula, as opposed to traditional kata. Well, you know, it's it's it, which is fine. I'm I'm all good with that. But it's more, you know, this is the how it should be done. If if uh, you know if you do goju kata, anything that is kansetsugiri uh, or yokogiri, geidan, it's it's geidan. There's nothing higher. So it wouldn't make sense for like a lot of people sometimes do let's say kurunfa and you start and then instead of doing the knee the knee uh, kick you do a high kick it doesn't make sense you know what I mean so you, you don't touch tradition you know it's it's there and it stays like that but the open tournament formula gave me that that uh, opportunity to express myself through it and so that was basically it but parallel to that in the dojo was still traditional training traditional training because I knew that you cannot derive derive from that in order to stay focused and stay in line. So, um, and obviously tournament is one thing and I was always aware because of my, my traditional karate training and also the Zen training about, you know, the mind. So I was never like, um, how can I say, um, detached from, from the tradition because of the open tournament and all the flashy, uh, you know, things that were mm -hmm. going on over there. To me, it was like, okay, I'm going out there to express myself. Then I go back. I go back to the dojo, and it's the white gi, and we keep going like this, you know. And that's 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 why I owe this to my first karate teacher, and obviously uh, to Sensei Merriman, you know, uh, guidance, you know, in terms of uh, the training, and so yeah. And then you look at today, yes, uh, Sensei Tagesi. Oh, I'm sorry. I, that was a signal for somebody else. Oh, okay, because I saw your fingers. I like, yeah, well, I just wanted you to finish first. Okay. And uh, so so basically, it. and then I look at today how the open tournament, people don't come necessarily from a traditional background. They're just, they come up and they get good acrobatic ability. They can do those 720 and all these things. And But, you, you know, like I always say, I mean, I, I you know, personally, I look at the, the footwork. You know, and then I right away you see there's no basics there, you know, because every time they do a kick or, you know, like a double twist hook kick, they land, they off balance and they go into another spinning, you know, because there's no there's no rule. And I remember back in 1982 when I went to, to 1992 in Spain as well, I was invited by uh, WKF back then, WUKO, uh, to do a demonstration of musical kata uh, at the World Championship in Granada. And uh the, uh, the president back then was a French president. And uh, they wanted me to also have a, make a presentation because they had the IOC representative over there about how it would be like a formula, the way we see it, I mean, the, the open circuit, the way I saw it, what kind of regulation and how can we make a, uh, like a merger between traditional and the open you know, and based on an Olympic formula. So what I had put together based on what the, the tournament rules that we had with the WACO and all that is, is like a formula like you see in um, ice skating, figure skating, where you have compulsory, like then you have the uh, freestyle and everything. So I came up with that thing back then in 92, where you do traditional kata, then you do bunkai, and then you do the open form, mm. you know, the freestyle. So they loved the idea and everything, but obviously back in 1992, there was a lot of thing going on between MUKO and ITKF with the Nishiyama and all that. So I never saw the light. But anyway, it was an interesting experience. And, you know, just to demonstrate that the world championship, you know, something different uh, to the world. So, but um, that least, actually 
that's the, what you touched on really helps uh, guide us into one of our first questions from one of our, our viewers. Uh, so it's pretty straightforward from Paul Dupree. Uh, nice to get your question. Uh, could you please ask Sensei Fournette when place and time? Uh, so in which place and time did you first perform your musical kata in public? Oh my God. Um, that, I gotta go back in the, in the, in the history a bit. The first time I saw musical form was a, a, a tournament, a uh, Bill Pickle tournament in uh, Brampton, Brampton. And um, I saw there John Chung, who's a student of June Rhee. June Rhee was doing the classical music uh, with the forms and all that. And, uh, and it was Cynthia Rothrock and, and a couple of McGarry Michak. Those guys was doing Superman music and all that. And that's the first time I saw it. So I'm like, okay, now I see those guys the way they kick. I see those guys, way I can do this. So I went back home this way, you know, like Rocky Three comes out and I'm like, hey, this is the song I want. So I had the guy, you know, that was working, uh, you know, like cutting, spicing, you know, like uh, music and all that. So I had it cut in a way that, you know, you take out all the words and stuff like that and start to put together the, uh, the kata, the choreography. So the first time I did it was, uh, God, good question. I think it was at uh, Ayala Tiger was uh, during a, a couple of kickboxing events organized uh, with uh, when John Eves uh, used to fight in Montreal at Verdun Auditorium was one of the first time I did it there before I went to some tournaments uh, in um, Caesars tournament, Borkowski in Etobicoke and, and then uh, and then in uh, New England, in Boston, uh, and so on and so forth, and New York and everything else. Yeah, so we're talking about like a, like a late 70s, early 80s there. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. And Hans, you had a question a little earlier I want to come back to. <clears throat> yes, I just wanted to know whether uh, your kicking was a natural or an acquired skill. Mm, whether you were, you were born with that ability and just stretched a bit, or you just stretched your literally your butt off <laughs> to get to get into that shape yeah uh, well it's it's half and half i mean i, I was I, i'd say that i have a natural flexibility in me i uh, like you know when i started even when i was uh, beginning like a white yellow belt i was already doing the almost done on the split on the left side not on the right and then i was going pretty low already at, at, at the beginning of my uh, karate training so it didn't take long. It took me like within three years, I was doing all the splits because I was doing it like all the time, stretching, stretching, stretching and doing all kinds of exercise. So it's, it's a mixture, you know, of uh, a natural ability and some, some work, you know, for sure. And I still do today. I have the same flexibility. I stretch to maintain 15 minutes a day and I still use the same routine that I have in my books and all that. Mm. And, and it, it works very well. But the thing is like, you have to stretch every day, you know? And some of the days, you know, when we're at the dojo and then you stretch more, do more kicking and everything. So, but yeah. So I guess, I guess I was uh, lucky a bit. You picked your parents well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I want to go back to something you mentioned where you were uh, in Syracuse, I think you said, and you bumped into Sensei Merriman. Yeah. Yeah. What was it about that that changed your path? What, what was it about that meeting? What was it about him? And I'd like you to talk as much about him as you'd like. Yeah. Um, it Thank sounds you. like that really changed your trajectory. It changed my life. Uh, Sensei Merriman was, he was a good friend with my first karate instructor. And my first karate instructor, you know, went from uh, doing karate and he got into more of a Jap, you know, Tai Chi-ish kind of practice. So that kind of, not forced me, but it, it, I, 
when I saw his direction, new direction he was taking, that kind of had me start to look, you know, uh, options, you know, or uh, way of, you know, pursuing karate. I didn't want to do what, what the direction he was taking. And that's where uh, it happens at the same time that we were in Syracuse and I was with Sensei Merriman and then uh, student Domingo Yanos was amazing karateka. And so we got along really well. And I, you know, saw Domingo performing and we had some discussion with Sensei Merriman. And then I went after that to Connecticut to his dojo to train and uh, just fell in love with Goju. And, <clears throat> and obviously his, um, his teaching, the way he teach, the way he, the way he was and uh, his, his take on life, you know, and always being a, a person where this, his perspective is always, you know, like we would see people that do, because, you know, it, like in every style, you know, there's different version of katas and, you know, uh, when you're young, you say, oh, that's not the right way because it's whatever. He goes, no, 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 it's okay. It's just different, you know? So it was never a judgment on, okay, these guys are wrong, we're right, or that kind of uh, mentality, you know what I mean? So right away, you know, it sets the stage, you know, in terms of open mind and accepting that things are different, and, you know, uh, which is okay, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, so... Yeah, Sensei Merriman, uh, uh, it's, it's an amazing uh, human being in terms of uh, as, as a family man, but also is, is teaching his passion for, for, for karate. And it's, it's interesting because he had the saying, he says, uh, karate is not what I do, karate is what I am. Yeah. You know, and that says a lot when, you know, <laughs> and I, I, can, I can confirm that many, many times. I mean, uh, he's just karate, you know, it's just karate. You know, he, he could have done a lot of other things in his life, but he de devoted his life to karate. And he brought so much, you know, to us. And then we bring it to his, our student and open doors to go to Okinawa. And, you know, but just uh, as a human being, you know, is so uh, uh, generous, you know, and uh, he would, you know, listen to to what, what you have to say, and, you know, always come up with a, a perspective of not a judgment, but you know, again, an open mind on whatever it's technical or whichever, you know, discussion you have with him, but it's never ju judgment, judgmental. And I'd say that in, in the perfect English. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and I, once, I once had the opportunity and it put me in the great shock that he kept, he competed while I was refereeing. Uh -huh. so I, I thought to myself, geez, what am I going to do here? <laughs> Look at this guy. He's gonna, he's gonna do kata. How am I gonna, how am I gonna give my score for a for a guy like this? Yeah. When all was said and done, he blew everybody away. Yeah. It was in his days of competition. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was his kata. Yeah. True. <clears throat> And um, Sensei Fernet, before we go to the 10 questions, what, what, what about the, the classes themselves with him? What, what, were they philosophical? Were they tough? Were they, uh, what, 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 what would that be like? Uh, it was, it was uh, intense, very well balanced. You know, it's not like, uh, I would say if you, sometimes the Japanese, they just keep pounding on you, go, 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 go. It was always very, very intelligent seeing how, how, how everybody were, like if they were like tired or, you know, or changing exercise so you can get a good balance of, of training, not just the lower body or not just the upper body in, ter in terms of training. And then the drills, the drills to make you understand 
you know, the technique, but also the transition from point A to point B, which, you know, uh, to me was very, very uh, a big key, you know, because, you know, what's happening here, what's happening there, but how do you transition from point A to point B? And how you, how you use your hara, how you use your, your footwork, how you use suriashi, uh, you know, all the details. And you, you always had the right words to describe, you know, and that's what I said earlier about the, our expertise as, as uh, also teachers, that when you train somebody like let's say in the film industry that I was saying earlier, we've been through teaching all so different kinds of people, people would have like a attention, you know, when they're not always focused, not so well coordinated, or, you know, you try to teach a certain way of technique, but it doesn't sink in. So you got to find another way, another tool to make the student understand. And he was like that. It was adjusting like that all the time. Okay, no, no, no. Let's see, well, picture this this way. Then when you do this. So he was always like, always ahead of the game. You know, it was never like, I don't know what to say. It was always an option, always an option to, to help you understand, you know, what he was uh, trying to teach you, you know? So just amazing. It's so awesome to hear that, especially because we've literally done uh, short, as in our one-off episodes about, you know, the pedagogy and, and, and the approach to teaching and how important it is for, you know, us to, to relate to the students so that if they don't understand, we accept that it might be our responsibility, not theirs. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way you're talking about that sounds pretty advanced for 40 years ago. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. No, no, for sure. For sure. Um, if you've ever watched our show, you know what this chicken scratch is. And if you haven't, um, I'll tell you, it's our 10 questions. And our 10 questions are what we ask all our guests. And the suggestion is that you answer as impulsively as you can, but then expand on your answers as okay. you wish. Okay. All right. Great. Uh, what is the most effective move in your martial arts arsenal? God, my giddy. Who is the most influential martial artist in your life? Ooh, you have a few, but since you Chuck Merriman. Um, who do you believe is the most influential martial artist of all time and why? Wow. That, that's a big question. Not talking about movies. We'll get there. We'll get there. This, we'll get is, there. this is straight up martial arts. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I'd say Sensei Merriman and Ego and Amorio. What excites you most about the next five years of your training? Uh, say that again, sorry. What excites you most about the next five years of your training? <laughs> but it's just to keep up, keep moving forward because, uh, you know, it's, it's not about learning new things. It's not about, it's just getting better every time. You know, I, I see the difference, you know, when I was 20 years old and I was doing things, uh, technique and everything. And I, I look at today, I'm 61 in two weeks. I got more explosion and more kime in what I do than I used to have back then. And it comes from relaxation. So uh, the understanding of the, you know, when we talk about goju, you know, and what's the percentage of go versus ju and, and the technique, you know, the go is, is that, that kime, the ju is the relaxation. Explosion comes from relaxation. So as I get older, I get more understanding of that part of it, of the ju which, you know, I, it feels to me, I'm more satisfied about my karate today because it's, it's not, it's not intellectual at all. It's very instinctive and it goes, has to go through your body so you can express it. 
you know so yeah that's what i like about it it gets better mm -hmm. i'm really glad i asked that question of you um if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you get there <laughs> welcome back <laughs> um do you have do you have a favorite film and television martial artist well definitely. by the way sorry sensei if i may that you've watched and that you've worked with because you have that unique perspective oh my oh yeah uh well for sure bruce lee because it was such a big influence to me like in martial art who did i work with in the martial art world uh I came close to work with Jackie, but it didn't happen. Jet either. Not many of them. <laughs> I spent a couple of years with Van Damme, which, you yeah. know, I knew Jean-Claude. That's a long story. I knew Jean-Claude from 1976, 77 in the south of France because his, him and his instructor, they were like uh, affiliated to you with the Nambu Sensei, the first Mike Sensei's teacher. Uh, and we used to go to France to do uh, like a, like a gashku, like a seminar. In the south of france that they used to have the world championship for the organization there that organization and i that's the first time i met uh, jean claude was there he was like we were the same age so it was like 14 15 years old with glasses so uh but that being said i don't think you know jean claude did some great things you know and he, he was great for for the time that he did it you know i didn't i chuck Norris. i worked with chuck and i think chuck is the real deal you know definitely um not the, the, the flashiest or the most flamboyant, but uh, is a true guy, is a real guy, you know, as, as opposed to some, like Jet Li is, is, is a real wushu artist, you know, like Jackie comes from the opera, the Chinese opera, right. and then you learn the different arts, you know, and he's, he's just a Buster Keaton of, uh, you know, uh, Hong Kong cinema. So, and I did not get a chance to work too many, uh, with many uh, martial art guys like stars or actors, you know, over the years uh, that I worked with De Niro, with uh, Bruce Willis and, you know, Schwarzenegger and all those guys, but uh, not, uh, not necessarily uh, some of those uh, martial art guys. Right on. Um, which martial artist in all of history, whether they're living or dead, would you like to train with the most? Uh, well, there's a few. There's a few. I had the opportunity to train with the Igano Morio, obviously Eichi Miyazato. Uh, Iha Koshin was amazing. Uh, for sure, if you go back in time and really be in the presence of Chojun Miege and really feel everything from, from, that, from that, uh, that man, that would be awesome, you know? Uh, I like uh, the interesting Dan Inosanto, Guru Dan Inosanto, which I think that he's a wealth of knowledge. And I find, because I, you know, with, because of the stunt world, you know, I train with guys from different avenues and some of those guys come from the uh, the academy i just like to to see like i said earlier having an open mind where you work a bit with uh you know cali or jkd or you know knife fighting and you see the basics and make the connections what we do and that type of training and it's all interconnected you know so i find i find it very interesting when you have that kind of uh, open mind like what he does with Panchak Silat and all that, which is, I, I think it's just, it just broadens up your, your horizons, you know, as opposed to be too like that. It doesn't change what your practice is, but it just opens your mind, you know, to other things. And it, it just makes your karate better because you understand better. Mm. For me. Uh, 
Yeah, that's a great answer. If everybody in the world could have uh, the greatest benefit you've gotten from martial arts, whether they train or not, what benefit would they be getting? <laughs> wow, that's a good that's a good question. Physical or mentally? <laughs> Both. Both. Or well, physical, I would I would say you know, obviously, the the uh, the combination of the flexibility and the uh, the strength, you know, because of the training I've been doing for years. And then, uh, you know, Zen training, Zen training. I wish that to everybody. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Because it's not just about martial arts, it's about living, you know. And uh, Sakyama Roshi, who's my Zen master, is about 100 years old now. He's still alive, but he's retired. So Zen's about finding your true self. So we were saying earlier about going home, you know, that's, that's what it is. It's finding your true self. The last two questions come as a pair. What is your greatest achievement and your greatest regret? Oh, ha, greatest achievement is having kids. <laughs> My kids, you know, uh, very proud of them. Would I regret not going to Japan earlier? <laughs> you know, to because uh, I, you know, as much as I'm my interest of, you know, of, of the art is so long ago, but I wind up going to Japan more like in the uh, 90s, early 90s. I wish I was there in the 80s, uh, 10 years earlier, maybe, you know, to, to have more opportunity to train with the uh, people over there. Because uh, Mia Sensei passed away in 99. Uh, so it gave me like uh, nearly 10 years, you know, to, to train with, uh, with the Sensei out in uh, Okinawa. So, and then, you know, these, these people now, they are, most of them are, you know, they're, they passed and that's uh, the wealth of knowledge is gone, you know, mm. so it's it's a you know you wish you could go back in time and you know change things but you can't so you got to make the best out of it yeah I, I, if i ever want to feel bad i just look at how many martial artists were alive when i started that i didn't realize i would have liked to have met right right um, definitely yeah so i want to go to a question here from one of our viewers and then come back to you so this is a question from pablo scurzi i hope i'm saying that right pablo he says, hi, Sensei. I'm Pablo from Argentina. Yes. I'm, I'm a Jundokan student. Uh -huh. uh, you train with Osensei Miyazato. Could you tell us how you met Miyazato Ichi Sensei? I met Miyazato Sensei through Sensei Chuck Merriman. Sensei, Sensei Merriman was in Okinawa first, and then we went with him. We were introduced to Jundokan because in order to get to Jundokan, uh, you had to be uh, introduced by somebody that is a member. So Sensei Merriman went there back then through uh, Yasuda Sensei. He was invited by Yasuda Sensei, and then we went over there. Me, I say we, Sensei Merriman student, to um, Okinawa. And like I said earlier, I would do after that, following that first introduction, I would go there twice a year and spend a month at a time just to train. And remember, after three years going over there, three times a day, just go to dojo, and in the morning early, I would go to Zen training, and then three years. I, sensei, uh, Mizato Sensei, I come in the morning to train at 10 a.m. And he comes out, he goes, no training today. I'm like, oh boy, what did I do? You know, there's something wrong. He goes, no, no, no. You come here three years now, every time just training, you don't visit the island. Now this today, I take you to the island. So it was very generous. It was very, we would go to his, you know, favorite soba house and everything mm -hmm. else, which is, you know, it's gold. You know, when you say about, about what I was saying earlier about going back in time and having the opportunity to spend more time with them. You know, that's something that you wish you had, you know? So that's how I got into uh, Jundakan and 
training with uh, Mia Sensei. And back then, but everybody was at Jundakan. If people know the story, the history, but Iha Sensei was there, Hichiya Sensei, Teruya, Mine, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, Taira and everybody else, uh, the other generation. So it was uh, just amazing training over there. It was packed of like high level people training every night. They would work during the day and then come work, you know, train at night and then go out for drinks until 2 a.m. Then we do the training after after our training and then they would go they would go to sleep and then go back to work and come back the next night. So amazing. It's just amazing lifestyle. Yeah. Um, Sensei Suino, when he mentioned, you know, going there for three years, not seeing enough of the sites, you really started nodding along at how important that might be when he named those students at the Jindokan. Um, where do you want to go with this or what do you want to ask or what do you want to add? Uh, well, I guess just, just uh, taking that idea further, uh, Sensei, once you started exploring Okinawa a little bit, what was that like? Um, I've, I've been there. Um, but I didn't spend any long periods of time there. I'm just, I'm curious what your experience of Okinawa was, not just in the dojo, but kind of outside in the communities. Hmm. Very interesting, you know, because I was, uh, you know, before, you know, you, we knew about the Japanese, uh, Japanese karate, you know, whether it's Gojukai or Shituryu and the different, you know, seminars I took before uh, in North America or in Europe before going to Japan. Uh, the mentality is very different. You know, the Okinawans, uh, you know, it's island, it's island mentality is a bit more laid back, very generous, always smiling, not so stressed up like in Tokyo or Osaka. Um, and also the fact that you go to Jundakan, in particular Jundakan, it, it teaches you to be responsible for yourself. You have to come in, there's no like a, there was no like official everybody line up and mokso, and, you know, once in a while, but most of the time you would come in and you know, you, you have to show that you can, you can, you can handle yourself. You, you do your mokso, you do your, your jumbi, you do your warm up, and then you start training. And if you train, then they come to help you, you know? So it's very different. You know, some people, whoop, got a big dog here. So <laughs> what, what, if you would go there and wait, then you would wait. They would say, well, what do you do? You know, start training, you know? So a very different approach. And once in a while, obviously you get the organized class, but in general, Miyazato Sensei, I would come in, especially in the winter time. I'm I'm the only guy there, you know, during the day because everybody's working. But I would come in. It's open. I come in. You you know, get changed, bow, mokso, do your warm up, start to train, and whoop, then he comes downstairs. He goes, oh, Johnson, kickside H, hi, and you do your kata, and he corrects you. Do one one more, what you do, what you do. Then he goes, okay, do this, 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 and that. He goes. And you keep on training. If you don't train, he's not going to come back. So you keep on training. Whoop, then he comes back. Okay, Saifa. And then you just keep on going like this. So that's what I meant by, you know, being responsible as coming to the dojo. And then you, you have to be, you know, you don't have to wait for something. You train, you train, and then things going to happen. Very different. But then at the same time, it's over. We go out, eat and drink and, you know, very, very lovely people, very uh, smiley, you know. And also they have their own, you know, language, Hogan. And uh, yeah, just wonderful people. Very different. Um, we have a comment here. Uh, it, it says, hi, Sensei. This is not a question, but a comment from David Lagace, Lagachi. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. I just want to say hi to Sensei, who gave me my shodan back in 1998 in his dojo in Boucherville. Oh, I yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. I had yeah. the chance to have several seminars with Sensei Fernet. Good memories. I used to train with Sensei Claude Dalpe 
yeah. Saint Julie. Yeah. Uh, since then, still practicing, still in love with martial arts, mainly because I used to want to be like Sensei Fernet. <laughs> and uh, he says I used to have his poster where he's doing the splits on the Porsche. Yeah, yeah that's right. I used to yeah do a commercial uh, an ad for Porsche in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Do you remember what year and model? Uh, it was a Porsche Speedster. Ooh. It was a very unique model, and uh, was it the 1989 about? Yeah. Well, nice. If you had a 1989 Porsche Speedster right now, it'd be worth about three hundred thousand dollars. So I wish. I wish. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> uh, I want to. I want to ask you a question right now, and we we are nearing a little bit of the end of our time, but we're not there yet. You're the only person on our show who's consistently talked about Zen training, mm. and then I went and did Zen training. It's one thing for us to have a our own practice of it. But you're going and training Zen. Um, what would that look like? What would a Zen training session be? Well, Zen training session, if, if people know a little bit about it, is it's very simple. Uh, but it's the hardest thing to do, you know. About you know, obviously the, all the ceremony and the bowing and you know the the, the sutra, the Hanya Shingyo, and all that. But the hardest thing to do is to sit, not thinking, and just breathe. So, you know, sometimes we say about sanction that what the three things, uh, Sensei Mary also say three things, posture, breathing, attention, right? On, on what you're doing, like being in the moment. Same thing with Zen. So you're sitting in, you know, in the half lotus or lotus with the hands fixed on one point, but you're, you're not thinking, you're not, yeah, you, you, you know, you have to you know, chase those those whatever ideas that go away, and at some point you become, you know, you're breathing. So it's the hardest thing to do is to become one with your breathing, with the moment now, here and now. That's what we say, you know, and and Zen very often, and uh, that's why I say like karate is an active Zen because it should be the same thing. The mind should be the same way, you know. It's all about the attention, the breathing, the posture, you know. So. That's basically it. After that, it's just a, you know, regular ceremony, you know, ceremonial, you know, bowing and some, you know, you because you do also the walking halfway through, but also you get the kyosaku, which is the stick, you know, if, and you have to ask for this, you know, to go and then they, they tap you and everything. So, but other than that, it's very simple, but it, like I said earlier, it's, it's the hardest thing to do, to sit, perfect posture, breathing and be in the moment. It's funny because I'm sure you know, like in Okinawa, like Kyoide Shinjo and uh, from uh, Wichiryu, the big guy, uh, Yoshitakatera from, from uh, Matsubaya Shiryu, so all people that are a good friend of mine. And uh, they say, oh, Johnson, I don't know how you do this. I'm like, what? He goes, every morning you go there to Zen, I can't do this. I'm like, I mean, you guys are Okinawa, you're Japanese, you don't do that. I understand. He says, no, I can't do that. You know, so it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. People think... It's simple, you know, but no, it, it's it's hard, but it's uh, rewarding because you know, once you get into that that zone and you start to let go, then you, you then you become that at that moment that breathing, that inhale and exhale, and you become one with yourself. That's the hard part. Then it should be the same thing when you do kata, when you do when you're performing, when you're training. It should be the same thing. So thanks for that, um, Hanshi. When you when he was talking about that, you were really smiling at the idea of the kata and the karate being that. And so I want to ask if you want to comment on that, but also I want to ask you, Hanshi Legacy, a question because I joined in 1993 and you were taught, you, you said that within my first couple of weeks of karate, 
that karate is moving Zen. Where did you learn that idea from? I think it's a general common knowledge. Mm. Uh, I thought that everybody realized that it was Zen in that way. Uh, a lot of it has that the way it flowed on me was uh, um, the samurai when they had to face their opponent. There was fear, but in order not to have fear or any intent, you had to completely empty your mind because that's where the fear comes, right? And then it controls your body maybe by stiffening it up or, you know, doing things that you shouldn't do or doing something nervous or moving at the wrong time would cost you your life. So complete emptiness is the thing that I got from emptiness or just being you in the moment that anything that happens is accepted for its value. Whereas, you know, you may be fighting a guy who's got nice kicks and you're only looking, you know, you're worried about his kicks. Your mind is already full and really be yourself and react the way that you should. So along those lines is how I used it. But again, it's just really being yourself and even the ways of learning are shunned because then your your mind is full of something mm. completely empty. And then the last thing I'll say is that um, when I was learning from it, it's a little bit like being a mirror. You know, what does a mirror do? Nothing. Mm. Anything that comes in front of it, it understands and sees, it sees or reflects every possible little detail just by being empty, just by being a piece of glass. So it has a lot to do with martial arts and especially if you're a good fighter and kata brings that, gives you that poise when you're doing kata and that calmness. Uh, like I once said to, I'll uh, say this to Sensei uh, Franette, um, I have killed many people many times in kata. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. preparing your mind for should it ever happen that you will remain in the same state mm -hmm. yeah true interesting you're you're saying something about the mirror it's it's a <laughs> my zen master uh, i told him the story when i won the world championship in 1989 in germany at the uh, in munich at the olympia Halle. i come back to the hotel I get the trophy and all that stuff and I put it on the desk. Then then there's a mirror there. So I look at the mirror, I'm like, so what? What's what's different? There's nothing different. I'm the same guy. There's no, you know, the trophy has nothing to do. So it's interesting because I was telling the story about, about that to Sakyamarushi. His last book that he wrote, there's a there's a chapter and it's about me, and it's called So What? And where he tells that story about. Karate is not about winning or losing. It's about being. And so, so like in the same line that you, you, you were saying, uh, he was explaining also like your mind, karate is not intellectual. It's instinctive. 
it's 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 a feeling it's not something that you have to evaluate oh he's going to do a round kick by the time he's doing the round kick now the brain goes and the signal goes and that it's too late so he was giving the example like if you have a little pond or a lake your mind's got to be like you said still empty like there's no thoughts there's no so your lake is very calm yeah there's nothing as soon as you throw a little rock in it what happened ripples right so he was giving the example the same thing is like your mind's got to be like that very quiet pond the lake and as soon as your adversary will make a move or come up then it's like the rock coming into the into the pond and that creates that ripple and which is that reaction that reaction that you will have that will be you know uh, in in sync with what's coming towards you so so it was the, the, the whole concept about the motion, which is no mind, basically. Achieve that is not easy. That's that's why that's why you know those other friends in Okinawa goes, I don't know, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy. But that's 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 uh, that's what makes it very unique and uh, uh, worthwhile to pursue. Until I hit my forties, I meant it when I said I'd rather be punched in the face repeatedly than sit quietly in zazen uh-huh. it changed when i hit my 40s i started to enjoy my time with myself alone mm-hmm. still in a yeah. way that i didn't know how to when i was younger yeah. um sensei i don't know if you've watched any episodes or not but what we like to do is go around the horn to take uh we take pause on our time with you um mm-hmm. which is obviously flown by i could chat with you about uh-huh. all of this for another i could chat with you just about zen for another three hours yeah. or okay. sit quietly and <laughs> ponder zen together for three hours uh but i do want to let you know that we'll go around the horn and we'll we'll say uh some thoughts and then the last word will go to you before it comes back to us for a little bit of housekeeping um hanshi legacy what do you want to say about our time with sensei Fernet? it's nice to reacquaint with you you probably didn't know me as well because i was uh, younger in those in those times mm. by that i mean in martial arts but I watched you several times. You were always the, the guy to watch. Mm. But now to know that you've uh, filled your life up with emptiness and that you've trained in, um, in Zen and all these other venture, adventures that you've taken, I, I admire your, your effort to improve yourself. And understanding of what really what really matters. Mm. Thank you. And I hope that we'll talk again. La prochaine fois, vous parlez en français. That's okay. We'll go half and okay. half. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate. It. I, I look forward to it. It's great. I really enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Hanchi Sensei Suino. <clears throat> Sensei, I'm so delighted that we were able to meet this way, and I certainly hope we can meet again um i just love the the echoes of the way you've the way you've lived your life you've painted a a wonderful picture of um staying in the martial arts you know making it your life or rediscovering it and uh uh, traveling okinawa and back and then the 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 impact you've had on on the on the world of cinema here uh just i'm 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 deeply grateful for the time we spent together Mm -hmm. same here same here Thanks, Sensei Suino. Sensei Dauphin? Sensei, I always, uh, since Fernet, I always write a bunch of notes to prove to you that I've been listening to you. Um, 
And also because I like to reflect on them later, even though I could go watch the episode again, I still like to look at my notes because they're my thoughts. But uh, before I met you in Ottawa, I had only known you from, you know, hearing the whispers in dojos and seeing you in Black Belt magazine and various uh, images of you. But tonight was really, really eye-opening and very informative. And I really enjoyed the discussion, uh, specifically around Zen. This is the first time we've ever cracked that open on this show. Uh, love to have you back again sometime to talk about it more just in detail. We do these shorts. It would be great to do a punch chat short with you about Zen. Mm -hmm. But tonight, I liked when you were talking about the action and the reaction. Mm -hmm. Right? I think that's actually something that maybe even you talked about it in a film context, but I thought that's actually something good for the dojo as well. It's yeah. not only good for film, it's, it's good for here as well. Mm -hmm. The action and reaction. Um, so many times you mentioned Bruce Lee. So it's clear that he is a person who really inspires you to want to be physically good and help you pursue martial arts. I really like. When you said the movie They Live, and I was like, why do I know that movie? And I couldn't remember until you said Rowdy Rowdy Piper. And then I was like, now I remember that movie. Like, yeah, yeah. you're the first one to talk about a great fight scene with a great yeah. old school, real true w WWF. <laughs> but it was still the WWF wrestler, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like many people, says Fernet, you're, uh, you started in judo, but not in the YMCA. You're Canadian, so you started in a hockey rink, yes, sir, which, yeah. is, which is great. <laughs> um, uh, I think it's really cool that you've been a Buddhist since you're 14 years old. That's uh, that's a really good piece of information that everybody should grab onto. Um, I like. I think it's cool that you stayed in a temple when you were in Japan, that and that you thought you were Japanese before, mm. and that, that's what they said to you. You were Japanese before. Well, yeah. That's, really expanded my mind to conversations yeah. since the legacy and I have had. And yeah, really enjoyed hearing that. Um, you know, you're one of the people that said that Kumite led you to Kata. Most people say the opposite, right? That Kata, <laughs> that, that Kata led them into Kumite, but uh, you broke your hand and that's it. Um, yeah. I really, really got to say, um, I'm your deep respect for Hunchy Merriman just shines through. Like it's something that is this weekend. A lot of people said it to me about the way I treat my senses, sense of Sweeney and sense of legacy. They praised me for uh, the way that I treat them. And it's clear that you do that for Hunchy Merriman as well. And I hope everybody learns that lesson. We should all be treating our sensei with that type of admiration, gratitude, and respect. Um, Next five years, keep moving forward. I think that's all of our goal. Like, yeah. let's just keep getting better and moving forward. Um, Sensei Legacy said the same thing about God. He just said, welcome. And you said, welcome back. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to make a bad joke here, but when you said, welcome back, I thought of welcome back, Carter, for just Carter for just a <laughs> second. Right? Um, uh, you want to train with Chojin Miyagi? He's on my list. I would love to have uh, trained with him. Um, you said this too, I'm really a person, um, sensei, who words go in my mind and then they cause me to expand and think and think and think. And you said, it's not just about martial arts, it's about living and finding your true true self. You said that. I, that really resonated with me when you said that. Um, you know, 
training the training the difference between training in Okinawa and training in Japan that was cool you got to be a self-starter in Okinawa yeah nobody's going to come and spoon feed you you got to get in there and get training I like that um sit breathe don't think become your breath karate is not about winning or losing it's about being and it's instinctive uh since so you're a really deep person I I know we're going to see each other again and I really look forward to it um had I known any of this stuff before I saw you in Ottawa, I would have been sitting at your table and would have been chatting like the whole <laughs> night about this stuff. So thanks so much for coming on tonight. Really, really grateful. Let's, um, do, let's, let's do it again, please. Yeah. yeah. No, it's great. That's great. Yeah, really. There's one thing, you know, maybe you want me to, to do my little... You do your thing. I'll chip in a little afterwards. Okay. You go ahead, no Sensei. It's something about, again... You know, it's it's always been in me, uh, and uh, the word that I use is passion. You have to be passionate about what you do, you know. And Sensei Merriman was the same way, you know, and that's why we connected because, you know, we don't do some, you know, we don't, we didn't do karate to do karate. We didn't do karate to to say that, oh, I'm a black belt. We didn't do, even you know, the dojo and everything. It's all about passion. It's all about evolving. It's all about communicating that same passion to the students i did the same thing with my kids you know we don't do like some people ask me do you have a job i don't have a job you know i work in the film industry because i'm passionate about the film industry and 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 karate and uh, budo is is a passion it's a way of life so it's not about the dollar sign you know it's about passion and i think that is very important because you can see right away somebody does something out of passion does not come out the same way as, you know, any other kind of motivation, you know? So passion is for me the most, you know, the, the key word that I could, I could say that, you know, I use all the time and that's what I communicate. And I think the way I am, that's that hopefully people feel it. It's, it, it's a passion to talk about this. I can do, we can go on for another five hours if you want. I got no problem because it's passionate, you know, it's, it's, it's just so, there's so much to say about it. The reflection about, about all those thoughts, you know, the mind, the body, you know, how that we get that balance in our practice, but also in an everyday life, you know, because karate is not just in the dojo. It's all the time. Thank you for that sensei. And thank you so much for your time. You know, the, the only thing I want to add is just when you talked about the ability to physically express through not just the kata, but the musical kata while still keeping your roots in the classical. That feels like the story of my life. I started martial arts classically before I became an actor, before I became a professional dancer in any way. And uh, the idea that I keep that classical root, no matter what my artistic flowering might be, mm -hmm. it, it, it's the grounding I needed. And I don't know that I'd be alive without it, but I also don't know that I'd be alive without the expression. And uh, I really liked the way you talked about both. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to say thank you so much to our behind the scenes team. I, I'm not kidding. I'm, you, you know, I can be glib on this show, but when I talk about the, the upping of our game with our video, if you look at our YouTube channel, we're starting to add just, you know, uh, more pro, more current graphics. We're really excited about that. We're so excited about this show and we're so excited about the things we're bringing to you. The quality of our guests has always been top tier, um, but we want to make sure that the quality of the show 
matches. So thank you so much to our team. That's Robert Shlumsky, Mike Russell, Victoria Feff, Justin Shea, Alden Adair, and Andre Sedeshev, because you just keep up in the game. And then we have to keep up in our game to keep up and everybody wins. Um, Sensei Dofan, you want to tell us anything that's coming up or should we just say good evening? Honestly, Sean, we got, we will have stuff coming up. We've got some uh, shorts in the bank that we're going to push out, but We've all been a little bit busy over the last yes. month, and uh, so hasn't been an opportunity to line a couple of things up, but we will, and uh, we'll be back in a week or two. That's great, and with the glorious weather out there, I think a week or two to enjoy that and then catch up on our shorts is a great thing. Everybody, thank you for watching. Senseis, thank you for letting me be a part of this. Thank you guys, really thank you very much. Yeah, amazing. Let's do it again. Senseis, hope to see you again soon. Thank you, guys.